Our scripture reading this evening is Genesis 50. We'll read verses 1 to 21. Uh, Particular attention on verses 15 to 21. Excuse me. Just start in the last the last verse of the previous chapter, just for that little bit of context. So Genesis 49, verse 33 and onward. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who were embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. Now when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying. In my grave which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he made you to swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, And with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's house. Only their little ones, their flocks, and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. Then they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, And they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation. He observed seven days of mourning for his father. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore its name was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan. So his sons did for him just as he has commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham brought with the field, excuse me, bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who went up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now therefore do not be afraid, I will provide for you and your little ones. 
And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So far the reading in God's holy word. The sermon was written by Reverend Brian Voss, uh, pastor at Calvary United Reformed Church in Loveland, Colorado. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, how their hearts were troubled, how the hearts of Joseph's brothers were troubled. Their sins rose up against them, sins of long ago. Their sins prevailed against them, though they had been forgiven long ago. Oh, how their guilt troubled them. Oh, how their shame distressed them. Oh, how their sin disturbed them. To be sure, Joseph had forgiven them long ago and had shown them much mercy, remembering their sins no more. But still their hearts were troubled. For so many years they had lived with their guilt, their shame, and their sin. Now at last they feared they would be treated as their sins deserved. Oh, how their hearts were troubled. How the hearts of Joseph's brothers were troubled. Why were they troubled? They were troubled because their father had died, and now they were no longer sure how Joseph would treat them. All along, of course, Joseph had shown them much mercy. To be sure, when the brothers made their visits to Egypt, Joseph had treated them harshly, but that harsh treatment was designed to serve the purposes of grace. And in the 17 years since they had moved down to Egypt together with their father, Joseph had shown them nothing but grace. He had settled them in Goshen and had blessed them so abundantly that while the Egyptians struggled, the children of Israel actually thrived. While the Egyptians had to sell their livestock, their land, and even themselves during the years of famine, the children of Israel actually acquired possessions during that same time. While life was hard for the Egyptians during the years of the famine, the children of Israel actually grew and multiplied exceedingly. If Joseph opened the storehouses to the Egyptians, the storehouse of his grace was thrown wide open to his brothers. Joseph had shown his brothers grace upon grace he gave them no reason to question his heart. But now with their father dead, the brothers began worrying that perhaps the only reason Joseph has shown them mercy was because of their father. Perhaps it was their father that had restrained Joseph from taking revenge upon them. Perhaps it was their father that calmed Joseph's vengeance. But now with their father dead, and with Joseph sitting on the right hand of the majesty, there was nothing left to restrain him. As the second in command, Joseph could easily take revenge upon his brothers now. As the second in command, Joseph could easily take vengeance upon his brothers now. There was nothing to restrain him. And so the brothers gave voice to their fear in verse 15. Perhaps Joseph will hate us, and may actually repay us for all the evil that we did to him. After all these years, the brothers are still plagued by their sin. 
plagued by their guilt, plagued by their shame. They still remember what they have done. They know what their sins deserve. They know that they are at Joseph's mercy, and they don't trust that mercy. They don't trust Joseph's heart. They don't trust Joseph's mercy. Surely the only reason Joseph had been merciful is because of their father, but now their father's dead. There's no reason for Joseph to show mercy now, and so the brothers are afraid. They don't trust Joseph's mercy. They don't trust Joseph's heart. Not trusting in Joseph's mercy, the brothers devise a plan, a plan which they hope will secure Joseph's mercy. Verses 16 and 17. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. The brothers didn't dare to approach Joseph on their own. They sent messengers to him. They didn't trust his mercy. They didn't trust his heart. They thought the only reason Joseph had shown them mercy was because of their father. There was no other reason for Joseph to show mercy. And so they appealed to their father, claiming that their father, before he had died, had instructed them to say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin. They put these words in their father's mouth, of course. There's no record of these words in Scripture. There's no record of them in Scripture because Jacob never spoke them. This plan of the brothers says much about their character. They put these words in their father's mouth. They devised this plan to secure Joseph's mercy. They depended on their ability to deceive their brother. They depended on deception rather than mercy. They depended on dishonesty rather than grace. They didn't trust Joseph's mercy. They didn't trust Joseph's heart. This was a great injury to Joseph. For you notice his response in verse 17. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. When he sees their fear, when he sees their troubled hearts, when he sees that they are still not assured of his benevolence, his kindness, his forgiveness, he weeps. He weeps as if to say, have I not shown you my love? Have I not shown you my kindness? Have I not shown you my grace? Have I not shown you my forgiveness? Have I not shown you my heart? Have I given you any reason to doubt my mercy? Have I given you any reason to doubt my heart? It is clear that Joseph had forgiven them long ago. The only time he ever spoke of their sin was when he first revealed himself to them. And there he spoke of it only to assure them that he had forgiven them. There he said to them, Please come near me. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. 
After that, he never brings up their sin again. He forgave them, and he did not speak to them about their sin. He did not speak to others about their sin. He did not speak to himself about their sin. He didn't stew over it. He didn't hold a grudge. He didn't plot the way of revenge. He didn't try to get even. He didn't seek to repay evil with evil. He didn't look for a way to get back at them. He didn't seek to treat them as their sins deserved. He forgave them and he remembered their sins no more. But now when it becomes evident to him that his brothers, whom he has forgiven, and to whom he has shown nothing but mercy and grace, when it becomes evident to him that they still don't trust his mercy, that they still don't trust his heart, he weeps. I like the way Calvin puts it. By such perverse judgment, they do a great injury to one who by the liberality of his treatment had borne them witness that his mind was free from all hatred and malevolence. Joseph wept to hear his brothers plead for mercy, for grace, for forgiveness, when he had so long ago forgiven them. In this, Joseph shows us something of his heart. We read in verse 18, Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Once again the brothers fall down before Joseph. Once again we see the fulfillment of Joseph's dreams back in Genesis 37. And once again we are reminded that Joseph could have done with, with his brothers whatever he wanted. He was seated at the right hand of the majesty. He was seated at the right hand of the king. All authority had been given to him. There was nothing to restrain him from taking revenge on his brothers. Nothing to restrain him from taking vengeance. Go ahead, Joseph. Treat your brothers as their sins deserve. Go ahead, Joseph. Treat them as they treated you. Remember what they did to you. Remember how they tore your robe from you. Remember how they threw you in that pit. Remember how they refused to hear your cries for mercy. Remember how they hauled you out of that pit only to sell you to the Ishmaelites. Remember how they ruined your life, all those years you spent as a slave, all the injustice done to you. Remember it all and pay them back accordingly. Why should you show them mercy? They showed no mercy to you. Yet how does Joseph respond? Does he treat them as they treated him? Does he repay evil for evil? Does he take vengeance into his own hands? Listen to his words. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now therefore do not be afraid, I will provide for you and your little ones. The first words out of his mouth are these, Do not be afraid. Oh, how Joseph ministers to their needs. 
Oh, how Joseph, seated at the right hand of the king, ministers to their needs. He sees their fear. He sees the trouble of their hearts and his lips with grace or flow. Do not be afraid. Joseph looks back over it. The sin, the injustice, the hatred, the malevolence. And he sees none of that. He looks back over it all and he sees God's hand. While his brothers may have meant it for evil, God meant it for good to bring about a great deliverance, even the preservation of their own lives. Joseph trusted in a sovereign God, a God who works in all things for the good of those who love and are the called according to his purpose. Again, I like the way Calvin puts it. When we hear that God frustrates the wicked expectations and the injurious desires of men, we derive hence no common consolation. Let the impious busy themselves as they please. Let them rage. Let them mingle heaven and earth. Yet they shall gain nothing by their ardor. And not only shall they shall their impetuosity prove ineffectual, but shall be turned to an issue the reverse of that which they intended, so that they shall promote our salvation, though they do it reluctantly. So whatever poison Satan produces, God turns it into medicine for his elect. At the end of the day, nothing can be anything but good for God's people. This was the way Joseph saw things, and it was what enabled him to speak to the hearts of his brothers. Verse 21 says literally, And he comforted them and spoke to their hearts. He spoke to their hearts. He saw their trouble. He saw their fear. He saw their doubts, and he spoke to them. He spoke to their hearts to assure them of forgiveness, to assure them of grace. How could Joseph do this? How could he show such forgiveness to those who had treated him so poorly? How could he show such mercy to those who had treated him so unjustly? How could he forgive them in such a way that he remembered their sins no more? How could he show them such compassion? Certainly, it is because Joseph himself had seen such compassion for he had seen the heart of God he had seen the heart of God who through many thorny ways leads to a joyful end he had seen the heart of God who can repay from his own fullness all he takes away Joseph had seen in part what we see in full in Jesus Christ for in Christ we see the heart of God. We see the heart of a God who works in all things for the good of those who love him and are the called according to his purpose, even the purpose of conforming us to his Son. We see the heart of God who is on our side and who is for us. We see the heart of God who did not spare his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, and who with him freely gives us all things. 
we see the heart of a God who will not allow a single charge to be brought against us. We see the heart of a God who justifies us. We see the heart of a God who will not condemn us because he has condemned his own son in our place. We see the heart of a God who will not allow anything to separate us from his love. We see the heart of a God who speaks to our hearts to assure us of forgiveness, of grace, and of his love for us. And we need that, don't we? We need his word of forgiveness. We need his word of grace. We need his words of love. We see so much of ourselves in Joseph's brothers, do we not? Joseph had so freely forgiven their sins. Joseph had shown them much mercy. Joseph had given them no reason to doubt his heart. Joseph had shown them grace upon grace, and still they were troubled. Still they feared, and still they wondered if Joseph might have something against them. And still they wondered if Joseph would treat them as their sins deserved. Isn't this our experience as well? In Jesus Christ, our sins have been freely forgiven. In Jesus Christ, we've been shown mercy. Jesus has never given us any reason to doubt his heart. He has shown us grace upon grace. And still our hearts can be troubled. And still we can fear. And still we might wonder if God has something against us. And still we wonder if God will treat us as our sins deserve. How quickly we succumb to the attacks of the devil, the world, and of our own flesh. How quickly we take our eyes off the cross and place them on ourselves. And placing our eyes on ourselves, our consciences bear witness against us that indeed we have sinned grievously against God. And our hearts are troubled. And we quickly begin to doubt God's mercy and God's heart. This is why we need to hear the gospel proclaimed to us again and again. When did the Apostle Paul's pen reach the highest heights but when he reflected upon his struggle with sin, crying out, as every Christian does in Romans 7, The good that I want to do, I do not do. But the evil I don't want to do, that I keep on doing. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And where does the struggle with sin lead him? To further introspection? To further self-examination? To doubt? To despair? No, it leads him to Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is why we need the sacraments for the strengthening of our faith. When we come to the table of the Lord, we see the gospel portrayed, as it were, with our eyes. We eat of the bread and drink of the cup, and by true faith we are united with our Savior in heaven. In all of our struggles, in all of our doubts, in all of our despair, we need to come back to the gospel where Christ, our elder brother, speaks to our hearts and says, I hold nothing against you. There's nothing left for you to know a reconciled God. 
I will not hold your sin against you. I've paid the price in full. I've forgiven you. Here is my grace. Here is Christ's heavenly ministry to us. Here is the message of one who sits at the right hand of God and who does not repay evil for evil, but who repays evil for good. Here is the message of one who is kind. Here is the message of one who is forgiving. Here is the message of one who is gracious. Here is the message of one who forgives our sins and remembers them no more. Here is the message of one who speaks to our hearts to comfort and says, Do not be afraid. All is well. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ has made a full and complete remission of all of your sins? Do you believe that you bear your sins no more? Do you believe that all has been forgiven? Do you trust his mercy? Do you trust his heart? Dear Christian, is your heart troubled? Do your sins rise up against you, sins of long ago? Do your sins prevail against you, though they've been forgiven long ago? Does your guilt trouble you? Does your shame distress you? Does your sin disturb you? Then remember, for those who have repented of their sins and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has forgiven your sin long ago and has shown you much mercy, remembering your sins no more. Let not your heart be troubled. Live with your guilt, your shame, your sin no more. Jesus has forgiven it all and will never treat you as your sins deserve. He has removed your sins from you as far as east is from the west.